The Power 40 podcast is an uplifting faith-based podcast that speaks to all that is going on in our world. Our goal is to share inspirational real-life stories and experiences from notable guests around the country on matters that touch us all. The number 40 symbolizes a period of testing, trial, or probation. We all experience trying times in our lives, but it's what comes from these times that make us who we are. As we depict periods of people's lives where the idea of the number 40 is played out, we will learn the goodness that comes from perseverance, determination, and belief. I'm your host, Danica Tramberg. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Rick Thymke from Via Church. He has served on the Global Advisory Board of One Hope International. Currently, he serves on the Executive Board of the Surge Network. He has also been elected to serve on the Assemblies of God World Missions Board of Directors, which serves over 2,700 missionaries around the world. So just thank you for being here. Thank you for everything you do. It's great to be here. I'm excited to just dive into our conversation today. And one thing I saw about you, and I think something that so many teens these days should really hear is your story of coming to faith as a teenager and even influencing your family to follow Christ. How did that come about? Yeah, um, I, I was raised with sort of a God consciousness and just a God fearing home. We were taught there's a God. He loves you. Pray before you eat, pray before you go to bed. But just as far as a walk with Christ was just never a part of um, our family life and um, church attendance was a bit spotty. And uh, I, I was in middle school and my sister, three years older than me, um, came to me and said, hey, I went to this Bible study for a couple times on a Monday night and it's almost all high school kids. I was like middle school. Um, and she said, um, but I think you'd fit right in. And so why don't you come with me? And when, when your older sister asks you to do something... <laughs> hang out with her friends. You're like, okay, what's in it? And I actually said, why? You know, um, even though I looked older, I looked like I probably could have fit in a high school group. And she said, well, here's the deal. These girls that invited me, um, uh, I want to be friends with them. They don't, I don't know them real well, but they think you're cute. So if I bring you along, they'll talk with me. I can have friends. And so like, that's all I needed was there's girls that think I'm cute and I'm going. And, uh, and she said, look, we, we do a Bible study. We sing a little bit. They have pizza. We play football in the street. And so it's actually in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. Um, awesome where I grew up and uh, I went on a Monday night and there were 40 teenagers piled into a home. Um, I thought the leaders were like super old. They're uh, now I know that they're late twenties um, <laughs> and they had opened up their home and uh, two couples sort of ran it. One guy led worship, another guy opened the Bible and just uh, taught from the Bible. And we were all just sitting on the floor with our shoes off. And um, quite honestly, the first night I wasn't really, that tuned into it. I was thinking about pizza and football afterwards. Um, and so anybody that's working in youth ministry, like those things matter to kids. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at the end, my sister just said, Hey, he was talking about um, being born again. This is the time where that was, those rewards were really popular. And, and I just want to know, like, is that the same thing as being saved? And like, yeah, so she sends her little brother to go talk to the guy who had taught. And uh, I wasn't shy. And I went and did that. He just opened up to John three, three, where Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus um, and Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he just talked about new life in Christ and prayed with me right there, like on the sofa after the meeting. And um, I went to that group for years as, as well as hundreds of other students in Cedarburg over the years and um, really just found, um, found Christ and what it meant to follow Christ. But 
my parents really weren't attending church and we we after a while we said we really want to try to get mom and dad uh into church and yeah uh, have them know about christ and so um I remember uh, we just said, let's hitch rides uh, with somebody. And so from that Monday night group, we found a, a family that went to a church um, out in Brookfield and um, we said, can you give us a ride? And so they were driving us from Cedarburg to Brookfield to church. And I think my parents were getting the guilties because like somebody was beeping the horn and picking up their kids and taking them to church. And we were glad with the guilties. Like we could tell they were feeling guilty about it. Yeah. Um, and it was just one night my, my mom came in, it was probably about eighth grade at the time. And she, I'm getting ready for bed. And she'd always like sit on my bed and talk to me about like, you know, how's homework, how's school, what girls do you like, whatever. And, um, and I just said, you know, you always ask me questions. I have questions for you. Like, where are you at with Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? You know, you've gone to some church, but you always make sure we can go to Monday nights. You're happy. We're going to church on Sunday you know, where are you, where are you? And she just said, I've always really wanted to serve the Lord. Um, I've heard about Christ. I want to follow Christ, but your dad's just not there. And my dad was a street kid. He was in a rough home growing up. If you put Sylvester Stallone and like Arthur Franzarelli from Happy Days together, it was my father. He was a construction worker, not a lot of words, tough guy. And so, I just, my eighth grade logic is I said, mom, if you give your life to Christ, you know, it'll make three of us, me and my sister and my mom, and we'll get dad. <laughs> it was just simple. <laughs> faith. Like we'll pray. Yeah. Man. And, uh, and she did. And with tears, I led my mom to Christ in my room at eighth grade. And um, she said, you got to pray for your dad. And uh, it, it wasn't long from then on a Sunday morning, my dad yells up and said, you know, we're getting ready for church. And he goes, those people are picking up for church. And I said, yeah, they'll be here in a couple of minutes. And, and he said, well, call them and tell them you don't need a ride. You know, we're taking you. But just this one, as he's going away, he's mumbling. Yeah. Like, I don't know why we're driving 30 cotton picking miles with some blasted church. Um, <laughs> didn't want to drive all the way. He said, how many churches we're going to drive by from Cedarburg to Brookfield? And, um, but it, we, when we got there, I didn't know if they were going to drop us off and go out to breakfast, but they came in. And after uh, a number of really many weeks and months of them attending, my dad made a profession for Christ. And um, it's really today one of the reasons why I, I follow Christ because I yeah. saw this tough guy who was just raised in almost unthinkable circumstances, who was a good dad, but just wrestling with all the stuff he had grown up with, um, turn almost childlike and playful and kind. And from that moment on, um, he changed and our whole family dynamics changed. And so um, I'm a product of youth ministry. So I believe mm -hmm. in youth ministry. I believe that um, kids and youth are just one of the greatest mission fields um, to be able to, to share Christ, to share God's story with them. And when you, uh, so many parents' hearts are so turned towards their children that when their children follow the Lord, it, it takes the parents' journey um, along with them. So. Yeah. Wow. What a, what an amazing story to share, especially because, you know, so oftentimes you'll hear like your, the parents can't get the kids to go to church or, you know, in that scenario, but being someone who's so young and being an inspiration to someone older than you and, and yeah. really leading their life of faith from, from your actions. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? Be servants of the Lord and, yeah. and show by your actions, but that's really incredible. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I think too, 
maybe it's a little bit different with the youth ministry aspect of this, but I think sometimes like in this mainstream world, you know, kids in maybe public schools or who weren't raised around a church home life, you know, it's not so cool maybe to follow God. And, you know, what would be your advice to them? Maybe, maybe they want to, or maybe they have a friend who is a churchgoer, a youth, youth group um, attendant, you know, once a week. And they have a friend that, you know, isn't really sure about who God is and how does, how does that person, you know, invite someone in or, or how do you make it look enticing to kids at a young age? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when we think about our witness for Christ, it's, it's life word and deed. And, and so your very life speaks and should be putting Christ on display in uh, the way you live, the way you treat others. Um, I think attitude, speech, all of that puts Christ on display. Um, there are, there's the deeds that we can do that just show that we live in a, in a very different economy than, than the world's economy, but in God's economy. And, um, I think uh, living in countercultural ways, not to be weird or different sake, but there are things that when we follow Christ, it, it, it calls, causes us to live differently. And I think it should be beautiful and attractive ways um, that um, cause others to see the ways of Christ in the kingdom of Jesus. And then there's times where there, you know, you have words, we actually just share Christ and you actually mm-hmm. share um, journey. And one thing I would just say is, is to, to share what Christ means to you, to share what Christ has done um, for you. But I also think that I spent, sometimes, especially kids or students raised in church are um, sort of taught like the evils out there, like stay here, cloister in, or, yeah. you know, just always removing from society. Um and I, and I really, I just think that Jesus calls us to engage with people and engage with society, mm-hmm. um, have conversations. I think there's a lot of things in this, in this crazy, beautiful world that we can affirm and, um, and say, yes, that, that's, that beauty is, is God's beauty or yeah. um, things show the ways of God. Um, and then there's other things that we're called to critique. And I think that that's what believers in the world are called to do is, is affirm and, and say yes, and also to critique and say, no, that's, that's not um, the way things are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I would just encourage, I mean, I think personality has to do with a lot of that, but I think that students um, uh, being able to put Christ on display in life word indeed is, is everything. That's so true. Life word indeed is such a great, just three words to remember, I think, in your head when you're going about your everyday life, even. Yeah. Yeah. And so not just kids and, you know, your world did back in Wisconsin or you're in Arizona now, but you've done ministering around the world, like Costa Rica, Russia, Ukraine, Philippines, Austria, Cuba. There's so many others in between. I read the whole list, but so when you're working with, you know, someone here or there, you know, what similarities and differences are there? Do you change your message when you're in these different areas? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, contextualization is everything, right? When you think about Jesus entering um, uh, the world and the time and place and history, um, it was it was so contextualized to what was going on. So much of his teachings was towards uh, Jews that had disagreed on how to be waiting for the Messiah. So you had some that followed the law, and they were, you know, Pharisees, and you you had. 
um, uh, some that were uh, very much embedded into government and others that removed themselves and then zealots that were to fight against the Roman Empire. I mean, there were all these different ways of how to live out um, faith um, and be faithful. And Jesus comes along and so much of his teachings, he's teaching to those groups going, nope, it's not that, it's not this, it's not this. And But he's pointing, pointing them to, to see things differently. And I think the same way is true when we, when we look at the global church or we look at um, the world, the gospel has to be contextualized. And that's just like the risky stuff. How do we stay true to the theological um, integrity of, of God's redemptive story, but also contextualize it to a culture um, that, that sees things very different. And it, it, you know, for anyone who's traveled at all in the world, you see uh, very quickly, there's a lot of different ways to look at things. Um, you know, right now, the, the, our two political parties like dominate our conversation. And, you know, you go to, you go to a place like Italy, and I, I'm not sure, but seven or eight like nine par parties and you have everything from, you know, sort of an alt-right to, you know, communism. Um, and those are legitimate parties. So they see political things very differently. They have all these different parties. Um, and, I, and I think that when we take the gospel, um, there's just some things that just translate over all of that. But I think you're also looking for things in their culture to be able to point to and say, that's, that's, that's God's good creation, or this is, a warp of how things are really supposed to be. Um, and I, th I think that um, leaning into those kinds of things when you're talking, a lot of it has to just try to be a quick study of, of culture. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you violate the culture. Um, and But to contextualize the gospel, I, I think of Paul in, in um, Acts 17, and he's you know walking through and there's these uh, all these altars to God's and, you know, it totally not understanding, you know, the messianic message, much less the, this, this message of Christ now. And, and he sees the altar to the unknown God and says, let me talk to you about the unknown God, because he's unknown to you. And so he takes a piece of, of, of um, what they understood and started from where they were at. And I, I think that's so true wherever I've, wherever I've been to understand um, that that cultural context. And yet, um, but I, I also think the message of Christ translates because the gospel message is every tongue, every tribe, every nation. That makes so much sense. And I, a few things like just really stick out to me, just, you know, start where they're, they're at. So, you know, whoever you meet, there's never going to be a perfect place, time or whatever, but mm -hmm. we're all human and you can relate to them on that level. And you just have to start where you know, they're ready to start. And, and I think that's the beauty too of the message is that you can give it to anyone who's open and willing to hear it, no matter where they're at in their level of faith or their journey. And I think the spirit leads us in that too, right? That's what the spirit does. Uh, we're told when you open your mouth, I'll, I'll fill your mouth with words. And, and oftentimes he guides you in ways to communicate things that maybe, you know, wasn't even your natural way to do it, but the spirit, I think, does that. And then also the spirits at work in the listeners, right? So the mm -hmm. spirit is constantly, he's the one that reveals Christ. It's not all up to us. We're just supposed to be witnesses. We're just supposed to share and proclaim. And um, the spirit does the work to cause people to see Christ or hear Christ or receive Christ. That's yeah, that's so incredible. What in, you know, other you've seen a multitude of cultures and countries and ways of doing things. 
is, do you approach things in a way of, I think religion versus faith is like a huge topic of conversation. And what does that look like? Is it different? Is it the same thing? Um, what, what is your take on that? Yeah. I mean, I think both those words can have beauty, uh, in them. Um, I probably don't use the word religion or religious. Um, it's somebody, I actually had a conversation about this just a couple of weeks ago. So it's sort of fresh in my brain because it caught, caught me off guard. And uh, she, because this person said, well, you are religious. I mean, you're a pastor. Like, why, yeah. why don't you want to be called religious? Um, and I think that there's just, it's connotation, right? It's semantics mm-hmm. for us. But I think when I think about religion, I think about, um, um, you know, just, just going through practices and rituals uh, without a heart and, and maybe even a mind or physical engagement in, in those acts of worship. And I think when I think about faith, I think about, uh, the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so mm-hmm. uh, as we hear God's word, faith is built up. But then, you know, f- then James takes us and says, but faith without works is dead. And so when I think about um, faith, I think about um, faith with action, um, that we're not just hearers of the words. So sometimes I think about religion and I think about people just hearing the words. Yeah. But it's never, it's never acted out into action mm-hmm. of loving people and, and caring for the poor or, or speaking um, for with the marginalized to, to help bring justice in this world. So when there's no action that translates out of um, out of worship practices, I, I feel like it's dead religion. Um, but those are semantics. And, and, and I think that's even pretty cultural for us as North Americans too, to think yeah. of it that way. Yeah, that is so true. Um, when we talk about just living out our faith, um, actually putting it to action, you know, what as an adult or a parent or just a leader to a younger person, you know, what can we do to encourage taking action in our faith? Yeah, I think that um, one is to understand that we're, um, we see as North Americans, again, this is, I'm trying to bring cultural stuff to it, but we, uh, as North Americans, and really um, a lot over the last four or 500 years of Christianity, we see, we see faith as private. We see it as personal faith. We see it as um, something that I do privately here. Um, and Christianity is meant to be lived out in the public square. Christianity is, is meant to be, if we believe the Bible to, is what the Bible claims to be, it's public truth for all. The Bible's the, the one true story of the world. And so when we think about the Bible as the redemptive story, it lays claims to the beginning of all things, right? Um, and it lays claim to the future of all things. And so it, it's not over. Like the redemptive story of God's not over. Um, there's a day where God renews all things and Christ returns. And, and when we think about that, then we're still in this redemptive drama. The redemptive drama is still going on. And um, to know what the season is of that redemptive drama and finding our place in that story. Uh, we are in the mission period of the church. Um, Christ has come, but Christ will come again. Um, the kingdom of God is here in Jesus, but it's not fully realized yet. It's like an already not yet time of redemptive history. Like the kingdom of God is here in Christ, and we see glimpses of it and foretastes of it, uh, but it won't be fully realized until Christ uh, comes again. And I think that when we take um, 
when we take that gospel message and then we find that we find have a place in it, that it isn't just here's that story and we have this little personal piece of it, but when we are brought into Christ, we're brought into that redemptive story and we're brought into that to be a part of God's mission. And so I, I think that teaching the redemptive story um, and, and starting with creation and going to new creation is so important because it, it's, we see ourselves in the, in the light of a much larger picture and, and story of God. Um, and I think when we, when we think about um, living out our faith that way, um, teaching the generations, um, like meditating on that story and retelling that story helps us to see that um, we're not just having some private faith, but we've been saved into the redemptive story of God. I love that. And I love how it's not just looking at the story itself, but it's putting ourselves in the story and how do we fit in and, and how do we then, you know, make that a part of our life regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I love too, that just obviously you're a pastor and you do all of that stuff and you would think, you know, most people are like, well, he always is living out his faith, you know, um, that's, you know, that's his duty. And, but there's so many other things that you do too, which I think is, you know, amazing. Cause it really just shows your discipleship. And, uh, I just would love to hear more about the surge network and what that's about. And then also one hope international, because I think yeah. those are things that are just neat. And I, I think that it's great that you continue to expand your faith. And yeah. Uh, Surge Network is is uh, here in Arizona. Um, it started a little over 10 years ago with just um, some pastors meeting for coffee. There were church planners at the time, and they were looking for ways to disciple um, uh, people in the faith so that there was a bit more of a common language and common understanding. Even some of the stuff I was just talking about, this one true story of the world, but a lot of that language came was birthed out of that. And so they started a surge school, which is like four quarters of reading. So um, you can find all information on surge network um, website. But what started off as surge school, sort of training for for lay leaders in congregations, is now uh, includes about 130 churches in Arizona, uh, most of them in the Phoenix Valley, and um, they are they exist to to equip the church, to mobilize the church, um, and also to to really help to put Christ on display through churches. And it's it's um, many different expressions of faith. Um, so lots of different denominations and expressions of Jesus's church. Um, but uh, there's a lot of work that's being done um, on immigration and adoption uh, and fostering um, to um, uh, helping immigrants, um, the uh, faith work, rest initiatives and podcasts and things that can help people to, to see um, that their work is part of um, God's good creation and how they're contributing to um, putting Christ on display through their vocations. Um, so there's so many different aspects of the surge. It's like, it's when you say, what is surge? We all laugh because there's so many yeah. to it. Um, but surge network is just this beautiful thing. And on top of that, it's just a tribe of, of people that are really um, committed to Christ and to his church and um, learning from one another in different expressions of faith. So that's Surge Network. Um, one Hope, um, is, which is based out of Fort Lauderdale, um, and it is, uh, its mission is God's Word Every Child, and it's a scripture engagement. 
ministry. Uh, if you've ever seen the Bible app for kids, it's a downloadable uh, app for kids, very, very popular, connected with YouVersion. Uh, One Hope is really trying to get people to engage with scripture, but primarily children. So it started off by printing um, Book of Hopes, which was like the gospels put together in storybook mm -hmm. form. Uh, but of course, now with digital reach, we're able to get into literally every country wow. of the world. And I can say that confidently. Um, and so, um, yeah, sometimes we're finding out that, you know, in, in refugee camps, there's downloads of the Bible app for kids. Um, and so scripture engagement, not only um, just getting something in their hand, but how, getting them to engage with scripture and engage with the story. And of course, now with digital, uh, a digital reach, you're able to actually know how much they're engaging. And it's a very much uh, um, of an outcome-based ministry. So mm -hmm. it's not output, just how many kids downloaded the app, but what are the outcomes? And then working always to the local church to be able um, to make sure that that kids and youth are, are able to be discipled. Wow. That's incredible. And it's just so heartwarming um, for people that don't like, I wasn't, I know I was totally unaware that that's even happening right now. And so it's just a, a wonderful thing to hear that um, these things are going on and, and these kids are being nourished with the word and day in yeah. and day out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as we close out today and just reflect on the power 40 in our lives and maybe trials we're going through have overcome, I think that we understand in life we'll, we'll continue to experience the good and the bad, but 40 also seems to be significant in regards to time, like Jesus spending 40 days fasting in the wilderness, the great flood lasting 40 days and 40 nights and so on and so forth. If you had just 40 minutes to impact the world, where would you start and what would you say? Uh, I would tell the redemptive story of God. I think starting with uh, this this world being uh, this beautiful place made by God um, that is not quite the way it's supposed to be because of our sin and rebellion and the redemption of Christ that that came into this world uh, to be able to redeem to redeem His entire creation. Um, and uh, and the good news is that that Christ will fully establish His kingdom, and it's a beautiful place without hunger tears, death, disease, and all the things that plague us and, and uh, give us those 40, uh, that number 40, those difficulties that um, it's also a number of completion, that there is deliverance and there is hope in Christ. That's so true. And, and that's a story that every single person, no matter age, ethnicity, anything in between can truly take yeah. to heart. Yeah. Where can people follow you, maybe the Surge Network or youth ministry or um, just any, anywhere like socially on a website that they can follow you and, and your journey and your mission and what you're doing in the world. Yeah. Uh, via church, uh, org, um, is our website here. And so, uh, sermon content, those kinds of things are all found, uh, through that. And then also the, um, uh, one hope website and also a search network website as well. Awesome. And well, for more information on the Power 40 podcast, visit powerofhumans.com. Also stream the podcast on your preferred streaming service.